0: Amen. Well, good morning to y'all. Good morning. So we're going to continue on the book of Genesis. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 4, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. So, when you find Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, would you please stand for reading God's word? Genesis chapter 2 beginning of verse 4. These were the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and the mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and Onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's
1: pray. Father, again, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, the privilege of being able to study your word together and look at these things. Father, we pray that you open up our hearts and minds to your truth. Grant to us understanding and show us how, uh, how these things impact our very lives and how uh, what we are able to learn here is relevant to our, to our current situations. Grant to us right application of your word, we pray. And Lord, through it all, may we, may we see more of how great you are and how great your love is, how you have lavishly and lovingly provided for your people. And in in these things, Lord, may you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, there's a A lot here, so let me let me give you a little bit of um, a little bit of background and a little bit of my approach here. I mean, you've probably noticed what I've been doing uh, is is focusing in primarily on God and man uh, and his creation, but specifically man, um, because this is what the Bible is doing. These are the main things that these that that the main place of focus. You know, so I haven't you know I haven't spent a lot of time talking about, for example, um, the various ideas of the origin of the universe and that kind of thing. And and those are definitely um, interesting things to talk about. <laughs> but again, the main focus here is on God and on what he's doing in his creation and in specifically what he's doing in creating man. So that's where our primary focus lies. If questions arise in your mind, you know, things you would like to address. And what I try to do is give opportunity for that on Sunday evening. So keep that in mind um, because uh, something may come up and as we're reading or as I'm talking and, you know, you might want to make a note of it or whatever and we can deal with it later. I'm not, it's not that I'm intentionally trying to avoid anything here. It's just um, there's a lot to cover. So I really am trying to zero in on the main things. So that's going to happen again this morning as we look at this um, this section before us. There's, there's a lot of things here. Uh, I'm just going to give a little bit of background and try to zero in on what I think is the main point here. So, in terms of background, let's just say this: um, in Genesis one and Genesis two, and uh, this has never made complete sense to me. I, I guess uh, just because by God's grace I believe His word, just, uh, just like if you know you do too, if you're saved this morning and here um, as a Christian. But critics, it's been a common thing for critics of the Bible to say that what you have in Genesis 1 and 2 is two contradictory accounts of creation. And, that's, and be honest, that's just never made sense to me. <laughs> so, so let me just say this. Um, what we actually have here um, is an account of creation in chapter 1 that takes... Uh, a really broad view. You know, in other words, this is the creation of the universe, everything. This is how everything came into being. And then in chapter 2, we're we're getting some detail that we did not get in chapter 1. And it's also with a a bit of a a, a different focus. In other words, it zeroes in on specific things and gives us detail. So in chapter 1, you know, we've just got kind of a... uh, more or less a general account of, of the creation of man other than the fact that we are specifically told that man is created in the image of God. And that's, that's what we talked about last week. That's where our focus was. So, uh, verse 27, for example, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So, so basically, what you have in chapter 1 is just we're just told on the sixth day God created man. And then, of course, the all-important fact that God created man in his own image. And it's made clear there in a poetic form in verse 27 that we're talking about male and female. God created male and female in his image. So we get to chapter 2, and there's some elaboration on that. In other words, on the creation of man, uh, a little bit more about how that came to pass. Um, so, for example, we know from chapter 2 that male man, male and female were not created simultaneously. There's there's an order here. So that kind of thing. It's just elaboration. So setting the stage, I would I would say this. Here in chapter two, we are taken back to the sixth day of creation. So if if you know so this fits, if you know if you if you go if you think about the 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 seven days of creation that we're presented with in chapter one Chapter 2, verses 4, all the way through the end of the chapter, fits on the sixth day. So, chapter 1, verses 24, um, what is it, through 28? Uh, let's see. No, through the end of the chapter. Um, the sixth day account, that's where chapter 2 fits. It's just giving us more information on it. All right? So, um, I mentioned this before, but we've got kind of an odd chapter division um, here. So, really, the thought, the uh, the line of thought in chapter one finishes up in two three. You got the six days of creation, and then the seventh day, the rest of God, and then chapter uh, chapter two verse four begins a new a new section, and it's where we have this elaboration on the creation of man, what God is doing there. Uh, and I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, so for now, let me let me just uh, let me just say this: that that, that that's the, that's the context. We're on the we're on the sixth day, and uh, here being shown, reminded again that God created all things. Verse four: These are the generations of the heavens of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and then. Um, God, uh, Moses in in his writing here goes on to talk about, um, how some of these things took place. Now, let me say this. I want to, I mentioned this before. It's kind of a, kind of a general outline that, that, uh, that I'm going with here. Um, a few different steps. In fact, I've got it set here a couple of different ways. So, so let me give you two different, two different just kind of flows of thought here, a flow of events, you might say. God created man, and I think I actually gave you this last week as well, but God created man, so he formed man, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and, and man became a living soul, right? Um, and specifically in chapter 2, at this point we're talking about male, you know, man. So then God placed man, that is God placed the man he had formed in the garden, um, we, we call it the Garden of, of Eden. Uh, Eden may have... It sounds like, you know, when you're reading it, it may have been actually a, a larger place that the garden was just part of. But at any rate, he, he placed man in the garden, what we call the Garden of Eden. And then thirdly, God provided for man. So God provided uh, lavishly for man, giving him the fruit of every tree in the garden except for one. Um, so... Again, in verse 4 and verse 7, you've got some emphasis on God creating man. And then number two, God placed man. That's spoken about in verse 8 and verse 15. And then thirdly, uh, God provided for man. Verses 8 through 14 gives us some, some description of, of uh, the garden and the fact that God makes all that uh, for man. And then number four, God commanded man, or you could say commissioned man. What He does, He, he gives... Man, some things to do, and then he also gives um, a negative commandment, right? Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So, uh, so he gives him work to do. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to be in the garden. You're going to you're going to um, keep the garden, and then also, you know, you, you you on the positive side, you can have the fruit of all the trees in the garden except one, and then the negative command: don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now. Keep that in mind. And again, like I said, I know there's a lot here and I'm, I'm, I'm on, there's probably going to be several things. I'm going to say keep that in mind. So so uh, uh, that's a challenge, but you may, you may want to make a note of it or whatever. But that's one thing you want to keep in mind because w- when we get over to uh, the talking about the fall, uh, I, I will probably refer back to this. Man was given the command, the commission to keep the garden and uh, and even the command to abstain from the from the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, before woman was created. I think there's some significance there. Um, and, and oh, should also mention this. Um, this. This is another one of those side topic, topics, but like so many things, it has its foundation here. Man is created to work. That's something I'd really like to spend a lot of time on. I'm not going to do it this morning. But man is created to work. He's given... Work to do um, before the fall. Work is not a result of the fall. It is a part of being created in the image of God. Okay, So man is made to work because God works, and man is created in the image of God. And that's not a result of the fall. The fact that we have to go out and work for a living and provide for our families, uh, that's what we're made to do. Okay, um, so that's number four, God commanded man. And then number five, this is the last one, uh, as far as just the flow of events. um, God created a helper for man, (laughs) verses 18 through 25. Now, let me give you another little shortly, very similar, but just for today's. Um, you got God created man, and we'll come back to this momentarily, but God created man, God declared that it was not good for man to be alone, Adam looked for a helper. God created a helper. That's just four little things. God created man. Number two, God declared that it was not good that man should be alone. Number three, Adam looked for a helper. And number four, God created a helper. F- far and out of man. Again, that's just a little... Some some of the main events in chapter 2. and Because that, that's where our focus will be. Not so much on uh, all of the the plants and things of the garden and, and uh, the location of the garden and all that, although that information is here as well. Uh, I would just say regarding, um, let's say, verses 5 uh, five through 9, where, you have, where we have some description of the garden. <clears throat> and it hadn't rained yet, so God provided a spring to water the garden and there was no man there to till. So uh, uh, this is, you know, describing it before he's placing man in it. I, I do think one of the main points there is, again, just to show us, I intentionally use this word lavishly, just to show how lavishly God provided for man. Now, this this is another, one of the important distinctions between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And here's, here's what I mean. Um, in chapter 1, Again, the, the, it's like the zoom lens is, is out, right? And, we're, and we're, what we're getting is big picture. God created the universe. This is how all things came into being. And interestingly, throughout chapter 1, uh, verse 1 all the way through chapter 2, verse 3, um, God is referred to with the generic term for God, the general term for God. In the Hebrew, it's Elohim. Um, but it's like our word, G-O-D. It just means God. And so, in English, what we do, if we want to distinguish between the true God and a false God, what we do in English is capitalize it, right? Because, because it's a generic term. If you just say God, you could, you could be talking about anything. But if I say, thank God, I woke up this morning, Uh, I'm I'm, I'm referring to the true God, right? The the living God, the true God. And so if you were to put that in writing, what we do is capitalize it. Well, that's how God's referred to in chapter 1 because the emphasis there is just that um, everything that came into being was, or I should say came into being, everything that came into being came into being through divine activity. That is... Uh, it's, it's like today we talk about the the argument from from uh, design, and we use terms like uh, intelligent design. The argument of intelligent design. What what the argument of intelligent design is doing is is just just making the point that there is a divine designer behind all this. And that argument doesn't get into sp- specifics about who that deity is. It just it it just argues that. There must be a God who made everything. Well, in chapter 1, that's sort of what you have. I mean, it's just making the point that everything came into being by an act of deity, divine, in fact, divine fiat. You know, God spoke things into existence. But in chapter 2, it gets more personal. So, in, in chapter 1, there's an emphasis on the transcendence of God. Nothing existed but God, and he brought everything into existence, and therefore, logically, you know, we should conclude that he's above all things. He's superior to all things. God. Elohim. In chapter two, we, we find out that this God who created everything is not only transcendent, but he's imminent. In other words, he's close. He's personal and He's loving. And you all thought I got off track, but that's where I was coming to because uh, we're talking about how the garden is described here. Why would we get so much description about how lush the garden is? Because it, it, it tells us something about how God lovingly and lavishly provides for man and provides for His creatures. So, Uh, In chapter 1, he's referred to with the general term uh, God, and the emphasis is on his transcendence and his power and so forth. In chapter 2, we are introduced for the first time to his what we would think of as his proper name, which in the Hebrew is Yahweh, and that's in verse 4. These were the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord... God made the heaven, made the earth and the heavens. Um, that term Lord there, if you look at it, you will notice that it's all capitals. You've got capital L and then a small capital ORD. And, and most, uh, most um, publishers do that to, to let us know that the Hebrew word behind that is the word Yahweh. And it's it's the name that God gave Moses when Moses said, uh, "Who do I tell them sent me?" And the Lord said, "I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent me, has sent you." Yahweh. Um, it comes from the Hebrew to be verb. I am. So, um, for Moses's readers, if you were an ancient. And I'm, I mean, I'm talking about those who understand. We are Moses' readers too, but I'm talking about those who who know Hebrew. Um, they would have understand immediately when you get to chapter two, verse four. Okay, he's talking about when he says in the day that the Lord Yahweh God, Yahweh Elohim made the earth and the heaven. They would they would know immediately. Okay, he's talking about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses. Our God. I mean they would know okay, now he's identified who this deity is who created all things. It is our God, the God, the one true God, Yahweh, the one who sent the one who the one who called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees, the one who called Moses in the desert and sent him to deliver the children of Israel out of out of Egypt and so forth. So it's more personal in that sense, you see, than, than chapter one. Here we get the personal name of God and then we see how He provides for His creation. Man lovingly provides for. So a heavy emphasis in chapter 1 on the transcendence of God. Heavy emphasis in chapter 2 on the uh, eminence of God and the benevolence of God. He's the God of love. Alright, that's that's just kind of putting us in context there and helping us uh, set the stage. So, as you see on the bulletin, our our, uh, our title for this morning is a helper for man, and this is where um, this is where the attention goes in chapter two. I, I, I should say this as well. Um, Moses will start, and I'll try to point these. I'll try to remember to point these out as we go, but Moses will start different sections um, with these little uh, titles sentences so you got that in verse 4 these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created and then he and then he expounds on that on what he says in verse 4 there and this section runs from 2 4 um, over to four twenty six. 26 so uh, in fact if you look at if you flip over there for just a minute this section ends in chapter four verse twenty six and then you see the the heading again in chapter five. This is the book of the generations of Adam. see same same thing almost you've got in two four. These are the generations of the heavens, the earth. then he starts a new section in five one. These are the generations of Adam. The word generation there uh, just means origin or beginning. in fact uh, let's go back to two four. Here, I think uh, it is correct to think of it this way. One, one, um, I was looking at the, the Net Bible note on this. Um, that little phrase, these are the generations, can be f- paraphrased this way. Quote, this is what became of the heavens and the earth. Unquote so i think that's correct that's the idea here in other words in in chapter 1 verse 1 all the way through chapter 2 verse 3 we got a description of creation and then verse 4 he's saying now here's what became of the heavens and the earth here's what became of what god created and in from here all the way over to 426 he describes the creation of man the fall judgment and then, um, the, uh, you know, goes into the lineage of, of Seth, um, and, and takes it from there. So, so he's saying now here, God created all things, and then here's what happened once he put everything into place. And he gives us a description of man and, uh, uh an account of the creation of man and then the fall and judgment that falls on man. All right? So that's where we're headed. That's, I mean, I think that's Moses' intention. And so that's going to be our intention as well. That's what we're, that's, that's the the thought line that we're following. And I probably should say this too, just to be clear. When I, when I say Moses, that's because Moses wrote this. Um, but no, at the same time, this is inspired. This is the inspired word of God. So, so it would be equally true to say this is what the Lord intended when, when he wrote this, right? Because he, the Lord is the, the ultimate author here who wrote through Moses. Okay? Moses wrote the first five books, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And, uh, but it was, again, but it was as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? Inspired to write. Okay. All right. So for this morning, a helper for man. Now, here's my little summation sentence, and it is really simple. Um, God declares that it is not good for man to be alone, and creates a helper for him. That's what I would say is the main point of chapter 2, verse 4, through verse 25, chapter 2, verse 25. That's where the focus is. That's, That's the point of this section. God creates man, declares that it is not good for him to be alone, and creates a helper for him. All right, so um, let's just look briefly, um, again, verse 4, and once again in poetic form, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So there it's clearly stated again, God is creator, um, and with the backdrop of Genesis 1, we know that He created everything, right? And then you get down to verse Seven, then the Lord God formed man, formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. Literally, it's a living soul. Now, last week when we were talking about man being made in the image of God, um, I kept trying to drive home the point that man is unique. He's unique in that sense. He's made in the image of God. There's no other part of creation, so far as we know, like man in the sense that we're created in the image of God. And I, I say, so far as we know, because I, I don't think that that's true of the angels either. Some, you know, Some people will say maybe the angels were created in the image of God. I don't really... See evidence for that in the Scripture. Um, I I think this is unique to man. And certainly, even if that were true of the angels, angels, it's not true of any other creature on earth. Dogs, cats, monkeys, whatever, they're not created in the image of God. This is unique to man. But having said that, And as beautiful as verse 7 is, and verse 7 is, it is, it's beautiful and it's powerful. I mean, God creates man from the dust of the ground, breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. So, our our creatureliness is emphasized there because um, Moses is clear, God is clear. We came from the very dust of the ground. So, in 1 Corinthians 15.45, Paul cites this verse and, and, and he talks about how the, the, the earth, earthly man is, is, uh, cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. The earthly man is earthly of the earth. And he's doing that in an argument for the, the necessity of the resurrection because we can't inherit the kingdom of God. And the in the, in the uh, condition that we're in. We're, we're earthy. We're of the earth, earthly. So we have to go through the resurrection. And Paul makes the case that, you know, there's, there's a natural seed and then there's a, there, there's a natural body, then there's the spiritual body. And he said, you know, the first man, Adam, became a living soul when God breathed into his nostrils. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, Jesus that's the spiritual man. So you've got a contrast between the earthly man and the spiritual man. That's again another good topic, but for another time, I suppose. But I'll just say this. Paul is citing this passage, and it is it is astounding, you know, especially when you get to the you know, God breathed into his nostrils the, the breath of life and he became a living soul. But still we're talking about something from the dirt here. So I just want to say this. Even though we have tried to emphasize the uniqueness of man in being created in the image of God. The fact that man is a living being is not in itself unique. In other words, what's described in verse 7, God formed the man of the dust from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. that's true of all living creatures, animals. Formed, so in that sense, we don't differ from them. We're, we're made of dirt. And then, um, miraculously, but then again, we still hold this in common with the other animals, but miraculously, God breathes into this clay thing that He forms, and it becomes a living soul. And that is significant, again, when you think in terms of the, the transcendence of God, and the power of God, and the otherness of God, because... We're not like him. There's there's some senses in we are like him, made in his image. There are other senses in which we are not like him. We don't have the power of life. To give life, God does. So he can he can mold something, much like a, a potter molds a a vase or a dish or something on the potter's wheel. And then when that potter has to, you know, just take that and set it on the shelf and sell it or whatever, you know, there it's I mean it just sits there, doesn't it? But God can take that thing and breathe into it the breath of life and it can actually become a living soul. Amazing, amazing. So, our creatureliness is highlighted here and again the fact that we are made by God, created by God. And we actually, by God's power, uh, become a living Being. But now, uh, remember when we're going through chapter one, we keep seeing all this, you know, God created and he, he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good, he saw that it was good. Now then you get here and God creates man, and as amazing as this is, you know, man, he breathes into his, breathes into him the breath of life and he becomes a living soul, and he places man in the Garden of Eden and gives him charge over it, and as I said, we'll, Lord willing, we'll come back to that point later kind of skip over it now. Uh oh, and, and I might want some of you may be wondering about the location of uh the Garden of Eden. In other words, like where today on the map would we point to and say that's where it was um, because we have this description here in verses 10 through 14. So uh so let me answer that now. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> and I don't think anybody else knows either. Okay? We can identify the river Euphrates uh, and there is a R- Tigris River uh, as well. Um, the other ones we're not sure about. And uh, uh, even the, <laughs> the way they're in modern uh, today, you look at you know, the way the Tigris and the Euphrates come together, it doesn't seem to fit, fit the description here uh, the way they are on the map today. Um, so anyway, we don't know. So that's why I'm not spending much time on the, the location. Uh, we know it was a beautiful place, right? But then don't forget, Uh, lest you you get the idea to uh, uh, start a safari and go hunt for it. Um, It it was devastated by the fall, I presume, Um, and then possibly, uh, I would think, by the flood (coughs) later, which we'll, Lord willing, talk about later. So it probably, if you could go to that very spot, there's probably no way of identifying it anyway. Okay, so um, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, "It is not good." See, that's the first time we've seen that. It is not good. He's been creating, speaking things into existence. It is good. It is good. It is good. And 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 when the when the final product happens, I mean, we have to go back to chapter one for this. But when the when the final product happens, and you have man created in the image of God. Male and female, He created them. Well, then you've got to... It was very good. It's very good. But remember, right here, we're not at that point yet. We're, we're going back into the sixth day. God has created man. The male, not yet the female. And God declares, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So let me let me say a couple of things there. Um First I should probably say this. Uh Lord willing over the next 2 weeks and I'm including today, uh wow, we are about out of time. I'm including today. Today and and next Sunday, maybe the Sunday after that. In other words, maybe three sermons. Um I I want to I want to kind of we're going to talk about the fall because that's all a part of this, you know. Um Man, woman created, the fall and the judgment. But in doing all that, uh, I want I want to purposely focus on marriage because this is where it begins. So let me say a, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, um, if if I if if the focus shifts to you know where I'm really focusing on marriage and talking about marriage relationship, um, and you're single. Take heart. Don't check out on us because I guarantee you there's application here. <laughs> I guarantee you there's application whether you're single or whether you're married. This is all important for all of us. Um, and then two, as we, as we look at God creating a helper, let me, let me say this as well because this, this is the foundation for the marriage relationship. This is where it originates. Just like it says in verse four, these are the, the. This is the book of beginning. This is the beginning, and this is what God did with it. Um, this is where it all starts. The reason Christians, Bible-believing Christians, shouldn't have to make that qualification, but every Christian should be Bible-believing Christian. Uh, and I guess in truth they really are. But the reason Christians are so adamant about a clear definition of marriage, and the reason we we cannot budge off of that is because it is so plain in scripture it's it's a creation of God and when 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 people refer to it as uh, for example, sometimes you'll hear people say it's the foundation of civilization. The, you know, it's the bedrock, and <clears throat> that's not just in a pragmatic. You know, it's because it it, it seems to have worked. I mean, you know, it seems to have worked, and it you know it just works out well. No, it's because God intended it that way. God designed it that way. Um, so so biblically, and I can't obviously spend much time on this this morning, but. Uh, We'll try to come back to it. But biblically, um, let me just kind of sum it up. Marriage is um, a covenant relationship. Very intimate covenant relationship between one man and one woman. And it is intended to be lifelong. I mean, that's, in other words, that's God's design. It's a permanent, I don't say permanent, I mean lifelong. I'm not, we're not going to be married when we get to heaven. Jesus is clear on that. But as far as this life is concerned, it's permanent. So it is a, just like the, the traditional vows, till death do us part, it is a covenant relationship between one woman and one man. Yes, one woman and one man. Anything else is not marriage. I don't care what the world decides to call it, what the law, uh, what the courts decide to call it, it's not marriage. And again, the reason we can be so bold as to say that is because God has decided what marriage is. And He's not given anybody the right to redefine it. So uh and, you know, when they do that, they're they're playing it's one of those issues. You know, you 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 redefine marriage, you're playing God, and that's very dangerous ground to walk on. Uh all right, so uh when we talk about marriage, that's what we're talking about. One woman, one man, intimate, intimate covenant relationship for life. Now, uh I'm gonna try to just mention a couple things before we close. Uh as I said we're about out of time. Notice what the Lord says. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. Fit for him. So, two things there. Helper and fit for. And I'll, I'll be trying... I, one reason I'm letting you know all this up front is because I'll be trying to exp, exp, uh, unpack this more as we go through chapter 3 and 4. First of all, uh, and I think this is this is the point of the previous the previous verses. God brings all the animals. Uh, I'm sorry, not the previous verses, but the fo- the following few verses. God brings all the animals before Adam, and Adam names them all. And and you might think at first, well, that's kind of out of place. God's talking about man needing a helper, but what he's what he's doing here is making the point is that out of all of creation that already exists, there is no helper fit for man. So all the animals are paraded before Adam. Adam names them all. And then you get down to verse 20 and it says, but for Adam, and this is the end of verse 20, but for Adam, the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So, when we talk about helper, first of all, we're not talking about something like man's best friend, right? I mean, dogs can be good help sometimes, but that's not what we're talking about here. That's why helper fit for a man, or not a beast of burden, you know. Oh, man, get all all kind of help out of horses and oxen and... uh, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about here. We're talk, obviously, we're talking about something more than that, right? And that's the point of these verses, because all the animals come before him, but there was no helper fit for man, found. So what is he talking about? Well, um, he's talking about somebody who's, to say it one way, on the same level, we're talking about an equal so again, that's not a dog. See, a male dog has a female dog, and they're equal, right? They're equal in terms of species, what they are, their being, their nature. So out of all the animals, there was not found a helper like that for a man, one that's equal to him. So God created woman. All right? So, um, now I know what some people hear the word helper, and they say, well, um, that, that doesn't sound like it equal, so let me, let, me, let me point this out. And I'm not talking about equal in every respect, certainly. I mean, and we know that's not true, not from, uh, from experience. And, and that runs both ways, by the way. I mean, um, you can't say that women generally are equal in every respect to man. And you could turn that around and say the same thing. You can't say that men are generally equal in every way to women. They're, they're not. I mean, you know, we, we, do, we think differently, we do things differently. But that's the beauty of it, and that's exactly what God was doing uh, in creating a helper. But let me say this, so we're, so we're not talking about inferiority. When, um, when you hear that word helper, don't think inferiority, because that's where our mind goes a lot of times, because you we think, well, you know, uh, like I used to do some construction stuff here and there, and your job description was helper, right? What that meant was, you know, if, if the guy that knew what he was doing... Um, needed a board, he'd tell you, uh, you know, bring me a two-by-four and you can run over there and get him a two-by-four. You were a helper and you were certainly in, inferior because, you know, he was probably a journeyman carpenter or something like that and uh, and this was your first time on the job or whatever and, and you didn't know what was going on. But you knew how to run and get a board and you're just a helper. And that's fine, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's we're not talking about that here. The Word does not indicate someone who's inferior. Not less of a person, not less intelligent. And one reason I can say that is because this word is used, uh, I'm just going to give you three examples, but it's used a lot of times in reference to God. So, for example, in Psalm 30, verse 10, Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. It's the same Hebrew word, And the the psalmist is crying out to God, God, be my helper. He's not saying, you know what? I I need someone to do the dirty little task that I don't want to do, God. So, please be my helper. That's not what he's saying at all. Psalm 54, 4. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Same Hebrew word. Psalm 70, verse 5. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help." and my Deliverer, O Lord, do not delay. It's commonly used in reference... Those are just three examples. But it's commonly used in reference to God. So it cannot automatically or necessarily indicate inferiority. The context could determine that it does, but that's not the case here. Um, so, um, So we're not talking about less of a person... We're not talking about um, less worth, less dignity. In fact, that's where we're talking about equality. Equal in personhood. Equal in dignity. Equal in the sense of being created in the image of God. We see that clearly back in 127. God created man in His own image. In His own image, He created him male and female. He created them. So, one more more thing I should say... uh, To the single person, because again, I want to be clear. Um, Okay, God created man. One twenty-seven says, in His own image, male and female He created them. But but don't misunderstand and think the only way I'm the I am complete in the sense of being created in the image of God is if I'm married. Not true. Uh, I don't I don't think that's true. It's just saying that both male and female are equally created in the image of God. A single man is nevertheless created in the image of God. A single woman is nonetheless created in the image of God. Uh, the statement, 127, is just saying that both are created equally in the image of God. So again, we're not talking about less uh, in personhood or less intelligence or, or anything like that. There's equality. That's what that term fit for means. He needs a helper that is on His level, that is equal in personhood, equal in nature, equal in being, equally created in the image of God. And when all of the animals were paraded before Adam, he did not find that. And probably what God was doing, because God had already pointed out, it's not good that man should be alone, he needs a helper. Um, Probably what God was doing was letting uh, Adam know that. You know, letting that register, letting that... He brings all the animals before him. They've all got mates. They've all got helpers fit for them. And then Adam's looking at all the animals. I don't see one fit for me. And then God makes one. And makes one from Adam, the man. So, very quickly here, verse 21 The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. We were talking about miracles earlier. That's a miracle. He takes a rib and makes it into a woman. (laughs) And God can do that. And no doubt, just like he did with man, although it doesn't say specifically, but breathed into her nostrils the breath of life, and she became a living soul. Then man said, you know, we kind of read it, I got a feeling Adam had a little bit more passion in his voice when he said, this is at last, you know, because he's just, he's just had all the animals paraded before him. So this at last, at last, someone fit for me, someone equal to me, created in the image of God, Someone of equal worth and personhood and dignity. At last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. You see, there's a, there's a, a, a unity there. I mean, there, there really is a connection there. In fact, she was taken directly out of his body. So, this is the same flesh is what Adam is saying. That's why it's, it's proper to say, even for, us, for you and I, you might think, well, I don't have that kind of connection. Yes, yes you do. We, we all trace back to Adam. Every single one of us. I don't care what shape you are, what age you are, what color you are, where you hail from, it doesn't matter. We've all got the same parents. We all trace back to Adam. Paul says one blood in Acts 17. They're not different kinds of human beings. Sure, there's variety and again, shape, size, color, color of hair, eye color, but there's not different kinds of human beings. We're all human beings. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, he says, she shall be called Woman, even the, very, the name in the Hebrew is similar. It, it, it's related to the term Adam, Adam, which is the term for man. Because she was taken out of man. What Adam is saying, and what and, uh, every husband should be saying, is this is part of me. I know it's not exactly in the same way. You say, my wife wasn't created from a rib that came out of my side. No, but we're going to see God does join us as one flesh, just like Adam said, one flesh. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So every husband, every wife ought to understand, my spouse is part of me. There's a real, uh, probably not even wrong, and I'm thinking in light of our discussion this morning, probably not even wrong to say miraculous connection there between man and wife. I mean, God does something in joining together male and female in this unique way. And so Moses, and here we're going to wrap it up here, Moses says in verse 24 and 25, Therefore, and Moses has given his account, and this is how God made a helper. God saw that it wasn't good, that man was alone, and God made a helper for him. Therefore, And this is what I would call, I'm going to have to spend more time on this later, but this is what I, just for now, this is what I would call God's intention for man and His helper. Through the mouth of Moses and the pen of Moses, verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know what, what's Moses doing here? I mean, he's he's likening our marriage union to that of Adam and Eve. I mean, because you might think, well, that's kind of that, that don't make sense. I mean, for Adam, he was one flesh, but then he was separated. I mean, God took a rib out of him and made a uh, made another person, a separate person. But no, Adam looks at her and says, "Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh." She was taken out of man. I mean, He's still viewing her as a part of Him. And you can say, well, okay, I can follow that because she was miraculously created from His body. But now Moses says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife and they shall become one flesh. He's saying, just like it was with Adam and Eve, not, not exactly because you didn't come together in the same way. I mean, you know, you didn't meet each other in the same way. I mean, you you existed before you knew each other. But, in this sense, in the the terms of oneness, relationship, covenant relationship, it's just like Adam and Eve, even though you weren't uh, literally taken out of your uh, wives, you weren't literally taken out of your husband's side, nevertheless, you become one flesh when you are joined together in marriage. Husbands, you are one flesh. Your wife you'll have to go to Ephesians 5 and check me out on this, but your wife is your own body. She's to be treated as your own body. One flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now that statement is leading into the fall. We'll have to deal with that later. But for now, let's just say this. God created. He saw that it was not good that man should be alone. That's amazing, isn't it? A problem in paradise right off the bat, in one sense. But God wasn't finished. I mean, He knew what He was going to do. And He declares, it's not good that man should be alone, so I'm going to make a helper. And not just a helper like a good horse or good mule or something like that. Those are good helpers, but they're not not good helpers in this sense. A helper fit for. Literally, the term there is the idea of, of opposite. In other words, one that stands over inequality. One that stands over opposite another. It's like John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. That's the idea. He was, he was there opposite God, standing as equal. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Face to face with God, because He was God. So here you've got two human beings equal in personhood. There are distinctions. More than, more than um, anatomy, there are extin- distinctions. We'll have to deal with those later. But for now, burn this in your mind. Equal in personhood, equal in dignity, equal in worth and value. Equally created in the image of God because she was made a fit helper for the man. And that, by the way, is an expression. Remember I said this more personal here. That's an expression of God's love for His creation. The marriage relationship. The gift of the marriage relationship is an expression of God's love. Man, there's there's a whole lot more. I mean, just shame on us for speaking the way we do about marriage. It's a gift of God out of His own heart, out of His own desire to do good to man and to the woman. Would you stand, please? It's an expression of God's love, and of course it is designed to reflect His glory uh, in some ways that we will have to discuss later, Lord willing. All right? <laughs> well, let's, let's pray and, and uh, we'll be dismissed. Brother Freddie, would you mind praying for us?